This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Thank you to all of you who are here with us. And for those of you who are watching us by way of the Internet, thank you for joining us today. We're picking up on our message that we started uh, last week on the end times, uh, uh, the last days, and we're asking this morning that you will just view with us. If you take out some paper and pencil so you can begin to write down uh, our scriptures that we're going to use this morning so that you can go back and search the scriptures for yourself. We're saying to you this morning that in a matter of weeks, our lives have changed. In a matter of weeks. If you remember, we were here, everyone was going about their business in the month of January, February, March. We began to have a great time just doing what we normally did. But somehow in the month of April, looks like things began to change. The coronavirus, COVID-19, began to really make its appearance uh, widespread on the streets and in the cities across the country. You see, it's in a matter of weeks recently that schools have closed. And, and while they were making plans to open up for their current school year, many are going to virtual learning in a matter of weeks. In a matter of weeks, uh, our food supplies, what we took for granted, being able to go to the store when we wanted to go, the availability of products on the shelf. And then we saw the long lines where people were running and trying to buy toilet tissue and trying to get uh, Clorox and sanitizer and all these various things. Now they find out the shelves have been empty. And now many of our uh, manufacturers cannot even keep up with the pace or the need even at this moment. In a matter of weeks, our economy uh, uh, has basically been impacted so much so that we began to experience widespread unemployment. People lost jobs, laid off, or couldn't report the jobs. And, and we'll find out that our economy began to dwindle as people began to wonder how they were going to pay their bills and buy food and pay the rent to keep a roof over our head. All of this happened within a short period of time. It was in a matter of weeks that we found out that our ability to gather in social groups, to be the way we used to party like it was 1999, to eat at restaurants and to, and to go to our favorite movies and whatever, we find out all of that changed within a matter of weeks. Uh, a matter of weeks, we began to experience uh, uh, our freedom being impacted because racial hatred and prejudice began to plague the media and people began to speak out of what was in their hearts and only to find out that while it lay dormant, it began to reveal the heart of our nation not to be able to recognize people for the value of who they are, all made in the image of God, all happening within a matter of weeks. Church, as we know it, has been over all because of matter of weeks. We had begun to, pastors like myself, had to begin to realize that we, while we could not have service inside, we began to make adaptations to hold services in parking lots or at drive-thrus and, and ultimately begin to look at uh, simulcasting and putting our services on air just to keep in contact with our members and to proclaim the word of God. All of this happening within a matter of weeks. A matter of weeks, we've seen lawlessness and, and we've seen defiance as statues have been torn down and people have been killing one another and just simply because of basic things that simply because someone has offended someone and someone has just decided for sport, I just am going to take a life just for the purpose of taking it. All of this is really reaching an all-time high. And, and yet we find out that even more recently as this past weekend, well, the, the, the CDC began to announce over 300,000 people are expected to die by the end of the year because of COVID-19. All of this happening in a matter of weeks. I believe that when we begin to put this in perspective, we can begin to see more things impacted than what we even realize. The disciples said to Jesus after coming, out of the temple mount in Matthew 23, and, and Jesus began to respond in Matthew chapter 24, uh, as they begin to say, Master, see all these buildings, the temple, and all these grand things. And Jesus says, it's not too many days from hence, all of these things shall be torn down. You see, they were putting their confidence in what we ourselves have been able to build up, like many of us today. 
We put our confidence in our jobs, put our confidence in our finances, put our confidence in our ability to do certain things, to live certain ways, only to find out that Jesus told them as they begin to put confidence in what they themselves as a people, as a nation have built up, Jesus says it's, not, it's coming in not too distant of a future where all of this will be torn down. We've seen some of our confidences torn down over in a matter of weeks. We've seen our bank accounts, uh, literally some of us have seen it begin to grow, drop to where we're wondering, is there any money to keep the account open? Some of them have been looking at the eviction notices that they're facing, wondering whether or not they will be evicted. And, and as uh, the food lines have grown stronger and as, and as the resources have begun to come, uh, begin, begin rather to be expended, we begin to wonder what is taking place. I believe that Daniel gave us a time span as God began to speak to Daniel. Because, you see, Jesus told us in Matthew 24, he says, wait a minute, let me tell you something. All of this is the beginning of sorrows. He says, wait a minute, don't lose heart. Don't you think the world is coming to an end yet? Because they asked him, Lord, when shall your return be? And the end and the signs of the end of the age, etc. Jesus says everything he told them, wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes, famine, the pestilence, all of these things are the beginning of sorrows. But the first thing he said was, let no man deceive you. You see, it is there that we begin to realize that the first sign that we really begin to experience was deception. And while there's so much taking place now, people even assuming people's identities. And as I had a conversation earlier about guarding your social security numbers and guarding that information that is pertinent to you, we're saying that there are people who are stealing people's identities. And now we're finding out that now they're acting as though they are you filling out contracts or, or buying things in your name. And you're the one stuck with the bill. Why? Because there's a great deception taking place. It is not just taking place on a low level. It's taking place even in the high government where government is deceiving. And, and we're finding out that you can look at something, you can hear something, and then people say, well, that's not what I said. Oh, deception. You see, when we begin to experience all of this, we begin to realize that it's simply because many of us have begun to put our confidence in people, begin to put our confidence in systems, begin to put our confidence in government. And we lost confidence in God because one of the signs the scripture declares, for many shall depart from the faith. Church folks who have been falling off by the wayside, dropping out by, uh, by the droves. I don't need God no more. I'm on my feet now. I can do this for myself. And, and all of the excuses that we make, all of those are things that we'll find out that will not keep us. Mm. How many of us have raised our children in church only to find out when they got a certain age, they begin to move away from that? But I'm thankful for the promise of God. That if you train them up in the way they should go, yeah, they won't depart. They're going to come right back to this. Because I believe that the spirit of God that is moving in the hearts and minds of people today is calling out those whose ears and spirits are sensitive to God. God is waking people up right now saying, you better start paying attention because I'm soon to come. All in a matter of days. I've never heard the story of Noah. He preached for 100 years, it's going to rain. And the people said, we've heard that too long. Nothing is going to happen. But on that pitiful day when the rain started falling, the only ones who were saved were eight people, Noah, his wife, his sons, and their wives. Eight people were saved. And we're finding out, yes, they've heard the message long enough, just like you and I have heard the message. But how many of us realize another part of the, of the last signs that Jesus talked about? And men's hearts shall grow cold. Mm. the hearts of men shall grow cold. So you see our reliance on God, because we have such abundance, our reliance on God is now dwindled. And now, because we have been blessed, unlike any other group on the face of the planet, because we have been blessed, now we're finding that many of us have fallen away from the faith. Oh, we must take a look at it. You see, God had the plan, and in God's plan, he used the nation he used uh, the Abraham and all who would ultimately come to be the family of Israel. In Genesis 12, and, and we're beginning to look at Genesis 12 and 1, the scripture declares, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, 
get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great. Thou shalt be a blessing and I will bless them that bless thee, curse them that curse thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. You notice the promise that God made that every family in the earth will be blessed because of the faithfulness of Abraham. I want you to know that it is in this family that our Lord and Savior, through this nation, this people that our Lord and Savior ultimately came to be. And it is there that every family in the earth has an opportunity to be blessed simply because of Jesus. Now, when we begin to look at where we are in the time, why do we break, take you there? Because we're trying to tell you where all of this started. But when we now begin to move, we'll see what God is saying as it relates to the end times even now. Look at what he says in Daniel 9. Daniel 9, verse 24 to 27, the scripture declares that 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks, and threescore and two weeks, the street shall be built again, and the wall even in troublesome times. Did you notice what the scripture declares, what would take place? Notice it declared again, in 70 weeks, these things will take place. These things are determined. Number one is that in these 70 weeks, that there will be a put to an end, the transgression. You see, Adam failed. And because Adam failed, you and I were born in iniquity, born in sin. And uh, in this 70 weeks, God is going to begin to look at putting an end to the transgression of Adam. While we were yet enemies of the cross, Christ died for us. So it is during this time that God will look to put an end to the transgression to bring us into right standing with God. The second thing he says is that he's going to put an end to sin. As we begin to look at sin that shall not even dwell in us, it has no control of us after this has taken place. We, and what God has purposed in his heart, mind, and spirit, he's making known to you and I. Daniel was praying, and, and while he was praying concerning the writings of Jeremiah, it was later on that God began to give him this understanding of these 70 weeks and what would take place in the end times. He declared also that in the 70 weeks that there would be an atonement that would take place. Jesus became our atonement. The one who would pay the price. One, the lamb who was slain from the foundation of the earth. There would be an atonement that would take place. And then he says even further that, that uh, he would bring into everlasting righteousness. It is in this 70 weeks that God is working out the plan that he's going to bring you and I into everlasting righteousness. You see, we don't have any righteousness of our own. I want to let you know that no matter how much good you and I do, our, good, our righteousness is nothing more than filthy rags. You see, we cannot parade before God. Look, God, I don't do this now. I stopped doing that now, and I don't, and I've, and I've stopped going here and wherever. I need you to know that our righteousness, those things that we do in the flesh, is still filthy rags. Oh. But to hear, in this 70 weeks, God is working out a plan that everlasting righteousness, everlasting right standing with God is, will be made available to you and I. Oh, look at the plan of God. Look at the mercy and the grace of God to see us in our pitiful state. And while Romans 3.23 declares that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God in Romans 5 and 8, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Here, God is already now about to put in place, or letting us know what he was about to put in place. Everlasting righteousness. 
What's the next thing that it declares? It declares that during this time, he's going to seal up the vision and the prophecy, and then he's going to anoint the most holy. You're wondering what's taking place when it says seal up. There's going to be a time, or there was a time, brother, that God told Daniel, I need, now I'm going to seal this up. Meaning this is going to be part of the mystery of how I'm going to bring it forth. I'm not going to have you to write up any more about it. And it's the same thing that he says in, in the book of Revelation where John is writing. And, now, and then the word of God says, still up, stop, write no more. For these things will be revealed at another time. You see, God is telling us, I need you to begin to move in your faith because that which I declared will take place. And many of us said, well, just tell me the truth. You can't handle the truth if God were to make it known what he's going to do to bring us to this point. And so he says, seal it up. It's for another time. And as we begin to see what God is saying, the end result is he's going to anoint the most holy. Oh, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is, has been appointed for all of this. Seventy weeks have been determined, says the prophet. This is what God going to do. And now he says that, uh, verse 24, he begins to say a little bit. Let's break this 70-week period down just so we can understand what's taking place. Then after 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off. Did you notice that in the first part of this week, it says seven weeks were appointed for this, the decree to go forth. Seven weeks were appointed for the decree to go forth. And in that seven weeks, while we're talking weeks, one week in the scripture as this point relates to seven years. One week, seven years. So when we begin to look at in 49 years from when this happens, we're going to set the clock in a few minutes. But you look at seven times seven, 49 years. That's when the first part is going to take place. What part of that, Pastor? That's when the decree will be issued. You can now leave out, go back to Jerusalem, reestablish Jerusalem, that the decree will be issued out. After that, then there are 62 more weeks that something else is going to take place. He says, and then after 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of that prince who has come will destroy the city and sanctuary. And it is, and its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. Did you notice what was taking place? After seven and 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off. This is 69 weeks. The seven plus the 62, 69 weeks. And as we begin to realize, it is there that the scripture is letting us know when the Messiah will be cut off. Notice what it says now. So let's begin to look at how do we begin to set the clock. Because God has given us in the scripture when the clock would start. Here he lets us know from, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, until Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks. So first thing, you got two things mentioned there. From the going forth of the, the decree to rebuild the city, seven weeks. And unto the Prince, the Messiah, the Prince shall be. Now let's just deal with the first part of this right now. Did this happen? In March 444, March 445 B.C., the emperor at this point, Titus, he pleaded with Israel to surrender, and they would not. He wanted to restore, or to keep, rather, the sanctuary or the temple in place. And the Jews themselves were so fierce and fighting against Titus that when Titus' soldiers came in, they set the temple on fire. And while it was Caesar's desire to keep the temple in place, they set the temple on fire. And everything, because it was now destroyed, they did according to what Jesus told them in Matthew 24. Had you known the very hour that your Savior was present, he said, I would have gathered you like a mother hen gathers his chicks, but you would not come. Jesus came to tell the people at that point, I was attempting to get you to avoid this, to let you know how to avoid this, but they would not heed. Oh, 
You remember Noah, how he tried to get the people to avoid the flood, but they would not heed. You remember Lot, how he attempted to look at, come on, let's come on out of here. And the angel said they literally thrust him out of Sodom and Gomorrah so that because those cities would be destroyed. Lot's wife came to him. It was to get her out, but somehow she turned around and looked back. When God is bringing you out of some stuff, you got to learn how to stop looking back. If God took people out your life, let them go and stop looking back. God is trying to bring you into something, and you'll keep letting the past hold you captive. Oh, hallelujah. Mm, notice what it says. Uh, so there in 444-45, Titus is recorded by Josephus in the historian at the time who says that, in accordance to what Jesus says, when those disciples said to Jesus, look at this temple and its grandeur, and Jesus says, not one of these stones will be laid upon the other because of this. So in this time, 70, 40 years later, in the year 70 AD, Titus came through, and he did exactly what the scripture declares, that it would be almost like you plowed it down. What they did was they tore the walls and everything down, and they laid, and the stones fell down to a point that it looked like that, that somebody came in with a plow and began to plow in there to make sure that nothing would ever be laid there again, all in accordance with what Jesus told them. Remember something else he told them in that time. He says that, hey, you, you know, this time, there's going to be an awesome price. Women who are nursing their children, it's going to be a hard time for you. Look at those, uh, all of these things that he began to talk about. But I'm not going there right now. I'm going to stay with where we are. But anyway, he says that seven and 62 weeks uh, have already been recorded there. Did it happen? Yes, it did. In accordance to what was declared, it happened. So the Jews were taken into captivity. And as they were taken into captivity, it was here, brother, that they were dispersed throughout the entire world. We begin to look at later on, they're going to be dispersed. But here, in accordance with what was going to be, take what was prophesied to take place, these are the things that the scripture declares what would take place. 62 weeks. 62 times 7, 434 years. It is after that takes place, after the decree to rebuild the city, which was issued back in that day. We find out that after Nebuchadnezzar, uh, we find out that Darius, uh, they let the people go back to begin to rebuild the walls. You're finding out in the story of Nehemiah that when certain people came to the palace, and he said, how goes it back at home? Why? Because, you see, he was taken captive and just like many others, and he was serving on foreign soil. And when he heard the word that the walls are torn down and everything is taking place, he said he wept and he sought the Lord. And it was at that time that he asked for favor that he could go and begin to rebuild the walls. It is there that Nehemiah received letters, and, and he went back to rebuild the walls. You see, the decree had been issued. And part of what the scripture says, that is from the time that the decree will be issued to the rebuilding of the streets and the walls will be 49 years. Now, I need you to know something. When this was written, Nehemiah, <laughs> you know, we're going to look at, hey, they did not know anything about these things being declared. But the scriptures had already declared these things to take place. So now we'll uh, look at it until Messiah. The prince says there should be seven weeks of three score and two, three score and two weeks. So we're looking at 483 years after this. This 434 year when this part of it took place, but culmination of total, 483 years. It is there that we see it was based on the on the Jewish calendar, 360 days, not where the earth rotated around the sun, but how many times the moon rotated around the earth that they figured out their calendar. And it was there that they have Jesus, hallelujah, the Messiah. He comes in 
right on Passover Sunday in the year 483 in accordance with the scripture. It is there that Jesus enters the scene at this point. 483 years later, he is on the scene coming into Jerusalem just like the scriptures foretold. He's riding on a donkey. The only time he's ever done that in his earthly ministry. People are laying down palms in the street and they're saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. It is there that for the first time, the people are calling him Messiah and calling him king. And he didn't silence them. So much so that the Pharisees stood around and said, you need to quiet your people. And he says, if I hold them back, even the rocks will cry out. You see, it was in that moment that prophecy was being fulfilled. 483 years, Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem to fulfill prophecy. Now, when I look at it, remember what the scripture says in Galatians 4 and 4, and it says, in the fullness of times, that was when God sent forth his son. So God had to measure exactly when Jesus would be born that, uh, that he would be the one at 483 years in this time that he would be the one to fulfill this prophecy. You see, Jesus just wasn't born at the time he was simply because it was a great time. No, he was born that he would fulfill this very prophecy that on this particular Sunday and at this particular point in time, he will be the one to come in, Messiah the Prince, in fulfillment of the prophecy. Zechariah talks about it. He talks about here come your king lowly riding on the donkey. Oh, oh, hallelujah. You see, the prophecies had been given that Jesus would fulfill this. And we never put it together how this fits in the full time scheme, setting the clock. It is there that when we see the clock set, it says that after 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. Isn't that what happened to Jesus at the end of that week when he came riding into Jerusalem? He was cut off. He was crucified. He, was, he had nothing. He was put in a borrowed tomb. He did not come with riches or anything. He had came only himself to be the Lamb of God that would be slain. You see, look how accurate the scriptures are in setting the time. How accurate the scriptures are. You may say, well, Pastor, why do you keep talking about this? Remember those disciples asked Jesus, when shall these things be? And the sign of the end. You see, Jesus is saying that they didn't even know Jesus would fulfill the very thing that had been told to them by Daniel, by Zechariah. You know? And so here, as it is unfolding, at the end of that week, Jesus was cut off. His ministry, earthly ministry, was cut off. And when the scripture says it was cut off, as we look in the time, the scripture declares, now as for you, Daniel, 9, 12, 12 and 4, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of the time. Many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. Saints, when you look at where we are, why didn't God allow that, knowledge, that information to go forward? Because that information from that point on was for a later time, the time that you and I are living in. What does it say is indicative of this time? He says that many will go back and forth. In other words, we're talking travel. Did you realize that only uh, in, in 1900, people came to church with a horse and buggy? They were parking right there with the places for the horse and buggy. That's how people came 100 years ago, the year 1900. And now we begin to look at 1906, the car. We begin to look at all the inventions that have taken place within this short period of time. Electricity, telephone, later on, internet. Uh, we, uh, we begin to look at all these things that begin to take place. You mean from the time of Jesus until 100 years ago, people were still traveling in the traditional ways. It would take months to travel from one country 
to another, to go overseas or whatever it may be. It takes great lengths of time to get from point A to point B. But now we can be even in another country in a matter of hours. So you look at many shall go to and fro. But notice the second part of it. And knowledge shall increase. We have more knowledge available now than ever before. Access to the internet has now broken major records of how we can get immediate access to information. I remember back in the day when we were doing term papers or, or, or doing research, we had to go to the library and you had to go from one book to another and you're putting notes down and whatever. We thought we had it together. But when the computer came in, and then we find out that we had immediate access to information. We have more information available than what we know to do with it. That's why our children are even wiser than us in many of these things because they're growing up with this technology. And as uh, uh, Brother Elise began to tell us about the phone a few minutes ago, how to access this, I need you to know many of us don't have this wisdom and information. But if you ask your children, you'll find out they know more than what many of us know. Knowledge shall abound. We're looking at right now uh, as a forecasting and those who are declaring we're going to have a cure for this virus before the end of the year. They're those shaking their head and saying, oh, no, no, no. You see, past years it takes who knows how many years to get a cure and to go through trials and what have you. But now we're moving things so fast, you mean that we're close to a cure that we can have within a year or so for major diseases that have now impacted the entire world? Begin to look at knowledge shall abound. How is it that we know so much about all of this, but we know so little about God? Mm. Oh, we're sending our kids to school, and they get degrees in this area, in that area. But you ask them to turn to a place in the scripture, and they have no idea where it is. How is it our children don't even know what the word of God declares in basic things simply because we have all this knowledge, but we don't desire knowledge from God. And as we look in our scriptures and our study today, how many of us had knowledge that this was even in scripture concerning 483 weeks? It's been there. It's been there. So knowledge shall abound. So the Messiah will be cut off. What is the message to you and I? To go ye therefore into all the world. Make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Our message, the message that Jesus left to us is that I did all of this to give you time to begin to evangelize the world. Too many of us have set up shop where everything is about False Christ coming in the name of Jesus. It's about this one laying hands and people falling out. This one preaching prosperity and people getting rich. This one's preaching all these, whatever it may be. I'm not knocking anybody. I'm just saying the main message is this is the time to get saved and God has stopped the clock that the church will be ushered in to begin to bring the message of evangelization, the message of the kingdom to the people. Notice it said that after 483 weeks, 483 years rather, the clock was stopped. You might say, well, what happened after Jesus died and buried and rose? He went back into glory. But the clock stopped, the time stopped right then and there. Why? Because God ushered in the church age. He ushered in that those 12 disciples would begin to proclaim this gospel and that this gospel will be proclaimed by those who've heard never seen and it will go forth from one generation to another, from family to family to kindred to tongue, that this message will be preached to all the world. Then shall the end come. So you and I have a message to do. For those of you who are looking by way of the internet and looking, and those of you here right now, Maybe you thought my message is just for me just to personally get right with God, to experience the goodness of God. No, that's not what's been given to you. Your message is that you must declare and make him known. Notice Jesus says, if you're ashamed of me before men, 
I'll be ashamed of you before my father and his angels. So our message is to seek opportunities to make him known. He says, for the harvest is ripe, but the laborers are few. You might say, but I haven't been called to this. Oh, it's not about whether or not you've been called. This is about the fact that you who have received the mercy and the grace of God, this is the day while it is yet day for you and I to make him known. This is the time to talk of him, even wherever we go. We don't have to keep talking about the weather and talking about our football teams and talking about our resources and finances. Start telling people about Jesus because this is the day and this is the hour. To make him known. Oh, the clock has been stopped. The clock has been stopped to give you and I time to begin to make him known. Their family members, kindred, tongues, and people to make him known. We have missionaries going throughout the world, but how many of us realize that now the major missionary place is right here at home? Oh, we need to talk to family again. Begin to declare like Noah did with his Sons, and they had to begin to declare to the people around them, it's going to rain. You need to get in the ark. Well, we're saying to you, Jesus is coming. You better make your salvation and your election sure. Oh, we got to stop saying, well, I hope I'll make it in. I, I believe I'll make it in. You need to show no for a fact. Oh, oh, you need to know for a fact whether or not you're going to make it in. Oh, so the word of God just says, just as easy, all he who have the son, have everlasting life. You have life right at the very moment you receive Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. You see, it is here that you have to realize that God has stopped the clock just for you. I know you were in some stuff. I know that, that there were issues a part of your life, and the enemy is telling you that your drugs and your illicit activities, your sex and, your, and all these things that we've gotten bound in, the enemy is telling you that God can't use you, but God stopped the clock just for you to give you an opportunity to get right with him and to hear the good news of salvation. He's waiting on you. He's waiting on you. He stopped the clock. And he says, seal it up. Why? Because I need you to know there's only one week left. When God restarts the clock, there's only one week left. There are 70 weeks appointed. 69 of them have already been accounted for. God stopped the clock just for you and I letting us know you don't have all day and all that all you don't have all this time to get right. I know many of you have been declaring that I got time, but you don't know when the clock is going to start back up again. And when he starts the clock, that's all the time that you and I have. One week is left. One week is left. And he, in this last week, we're talking about now what the enemy is going to do. Is at this point, when we're going to look at, he will make a firm covenant with many for one week. And in the middle of that week, uh, he will put to a stop sacrificing grain offering. So this final week is divided in half. It's divided in half. So what's going to take place in this last week? Seven years. And when will the seven years start? When a covenant is made with the nation of Israel for their peace. We don't know. The Bible declares that there are going to be armies that are going to surround Israel. They're going to look at taking Israel and begin to annihilate Israel. We don't know when this is going to take place, but we know that when this covenant agreement is made, the clock is going to start. In other words, there are some more actors that come on the scene. One of them is going to be the Antichrist. I believe that his spirit is even here, present now. Why do we call him the Antichrist? Because he is anti-anything that is of God. When you're talking to people and say, well, the Lord said, well, I don't believe that. You see, they're letting you know that spirit of Antichrist is prevalent even now. When we begin to see what he's declared, Three and a half years, the first three and a half years, everything is going to go well. But then, in the middle of that seven-week period, he's going to begin to show his true colors. As we begin to see what's taking place. Now, I need you to know 
Many of us maybe don't realize that Israel is going to go back to the sacrificial system. Sacrificing bullocks and goats and whatever. They're going to go back to that. And in the middle of restore, restoration of the temple, and they begin to go back to animal sacrifices, halfway in there, this one is going to come and parade himself in the midst of the temple. There are those who believe he's going to come in with a pig to sacrifice. Now, you know that that is very symbolic of something that the nation of Israel, uh, that is not even acceptable as a sacrifice. But it is here that he's going to not only do this, he's going to stop the sacrifice and he is and the grain offering. And now he's going to begin to bring desolation, not only to Israel, but throughout the world. And when we begin to see what's going to take place. So we're saying what scripture is declaring. And as we begin to look and see what it declares, we have three and a half weeks. Hallelujah. Y'all give me a minute. Three and a half weeks where these things are, have been determined. And, I guess, and then we begin to see what happens now. Daniel says, and he will make a firm covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he will put to a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction one that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. So when we begin to talk about the abomination of desolation, when we begin to see what's taking place, this thing is such an abomination, and with all of this, we'll find out that what God's word has declared is going to take place. I'm going to move forward in the, in the interest of time. So God gave Daniel a dream. And in this dream, he saw a man, a statue of a man of gold head, silver chest, brass thighs, legs and feet of iron and toes, iron and clay mixed together. And in this, he began to share what's going to take place here. By interpretation, the head of gold is Nebuchadnezzar, the greatest king on the planet at that point. He's the head of gold. This was the dream. Now we will tell its interpretation before the king. This is Daniel telling the king what this dream meant. You, O king, are the king of kings to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the strength, and the glory, and wherever the sons of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, or the birds of the sky, he has given them into your hand, and has caused you to rule over them all. You are the head of gold, O king. So he's letting them know, Nebuchadnezzar, this is you. I need you to know that with, uh, sometimes when we hear a lot of good about us, our head swells, don't it? We get a little prideful, don't we? Big-headed, don't we? Well, it was here that Nebuchadnezzar later on in life, because he got all this swelling good news that he was the greatest thing since Kool-Aid on a hot day. I need you to know that there, later on, he had to suffer for that pride. God caused him to be humbled in such a way that he went mad, and, and God used him to actually have to live like a cow in a stall, eating grass and his fingernails growing long, and he's, and he's gone through this period of time just so God could show him who is God. You see, but Nebuchadnezzar with this great king, the great head of gold, Babylon, under the leadership of Nebuchadnezzar, captured Israel and first took the upper class into slavery. When we see about Daniel going and those three Hebrew boys going and, and all those who ultimately were taken into slavery, this was done under Nebuchadnezzar. It is there that he has so much riches when you're talking about the hanging gardens of Babylon, when you're talking about the system of Babylon. Babylon represents all that is rich, all that is, has, is, is of great grandeur, but Babylon also represents a mentality. How many people in the day 
everything is all about materialism. I got to have this. I can't have that. I don't want that. I, it's all about making me look good, making me feel good. It is all about materialism. Babylon represented the great expanse of materialism that people are killing and doing whatever to have, stealing whatever to have. Oh, a little bit more. It's a lifestyle. It's a thing. We don't need God because we're great in ourselves. Oh, Babylon. Let's begin to look at it. But then it says there's another king that's going to come after this. It says, after you, there will arise another kingdom inferior to you. This is what is represented by the chest and the arms of silver. Notice there are two arms and chest. The Medes and the Persians are part of this kingdom that's taking place. The Medes and the Persians is two arms and one chest. They're silver, meaning that they're strong. They're not as influential as Babylon, but the two together can begin to make such an expanse on the lives of people that the Medes and ultimately the Persians who were so devastating in what they would do, how they would live and how they would bring their captives in. The two arms of the two emperors, one from the Medes and ultimately the the Persians who would succeed from the neck. Cyrus the Great, you remember when Daniel was still there with, with Nebuchadnezzar, it is there Cyrus came in and defeated them and became the next one. And Darius the Mede after him, they represented the two arms at the beginning. It's here where we're seeing history being played out. There are those who believe that, that the scriptures were altered because how can anybody be this exact in scripture? And yet this was written hundreds of years before it happened. When we begin to look at the belly and the thighs, it's a brass. The belly, the thighs of brass. So here's a third kingdom. And another third kingdom of bronze, which will rule over all the earth in accordance to Daniel. And these were the Greeks. These were the Greeks at this point. They had one belly and two hips. They were ultimately a northern and a southern kingdom that ruled during this time, the two at this point. I need you to know that when you look at the statue, you see the point where the navel is. And why does that? Simply because it represents the fact that you are attached to this new thing until your neighbor, until the umbilical cord is cut. Well, the one who did all of this was Alexander, and, is, and when he was cut off at 33 years old, it was there that the umbilical cord was cut, and now they're ruling as a separate nation. Alexander the Great, 33 years old, conquering the entire world at that time, at the age of 33. Huh. He is the brass. This is the kingdom of brass. Two hips says they were the northern and the, the northern king and the southern king. And they would now rule until they were conquered by the fourth empire. God said there were four empires that would rule over the earth. And we have seen them in our history in accordance to what the word of God has declared. So when people say, well, the Bible isn't true, you search the scripture, you search the history and see whether or not these things actually happen. The fourth kingdom. Legs of iron. This represents Rome. Rome had the strength of iron. Rome was known for iron at this point. It is then there will be a fourth kingdom as strong as iron. As iron crushes and shatters all things, so like iron that breaks in pieces, it will crush and break all these in pieces. Oh, Rome was represented by the iron. Many of us uh, in our history will see how strong and ruthless the Romans were because you have to realize their strength was so that now, 483 years later, when Jesus is about to be crucified, it is the Romans who are there, who whipped him, who beat him, who savagely scourged him, and who had actually patented this whole thing called crucifixion that we can do this well. We know how to put a man to death and make him suffer long before he died. The Romans, how they crush everything, how they break everything. Where it was here that we see the Romans is that now we are looking at 
Let's look at the legs and the feet. You realize that there are two legs. Rome, historically, I guess by says was founded by two brothers, Romulus and Remus, two brothers. We realize that uh, here when we look at this thing, this city, this empire called Rome, yeah, it says, in that you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron. It will be a divided kingdom, but it will have in it the toughness of iron, just as you saw that iron mixed with common clay. As the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of pottery, so some of the kingdom will be strong and part of it will be brittle. When we begin to look at those toes, they're ten toes. They represent ten nations that could come together in this day and time. They were part of the Roman Empire, and today, it is believed that they are part of the European common market, 10 nations that will come together, ultimately. They can't get along that well. They're all strong. They're held together by clay. So they'll let you know that there are going to be times that different ones will break away. As we begin to see how this is taking place, we can begin to see how even now when we begin to look at this new currency called the euro. How many nations have signed to be a part of that and, and look at who and what is controlling what. All of that, those nations together are able to match and exceed the currency of the United States dollar. We can begin to see now the, the combined strength that is happening there. Yes, they're going to redo the, these nations coming together and that's literally what we're living in even now. And yet we find out that they're held together very brittle. In other words, they will ultimately break apart. So we see this is what God told Daniel 483 years before Jesus came on the scene. And we today are living in that time now. How much of our life is affected by the Roman government even today? If you remember that anything was anything that was official was not official unless it was written in the language of Rome, which was Latin. And how many do we see on our dollar bills even now, the Latin? Our calendar has been changed because of this. You begin to look at how Rome and how the laws and how various things have taken place. So there is an impact even now of Rome on society now. And there are those now who are desirous of seeing the Roman Empire come back together even now. That their strength together would be able to match or exceed the strength even of this country. So we can begin to see how this works together. So what happened? After Nebuchadnezzar and after the Rome came in, I need you to know, like Jesus told them, I would have gathered you like a mother hen gathers his chicks, but you would not. When we find out that when the emperor came in and they destroyed Israel, the Jews went out throughout the entire world from that moment on, scattered out. There was no Jewish promised land. There was no Jewish land anymore because they were thrust out of their nation. No more will there be Israel on the planet. No more. But I need you to know that God said something by his prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 66 and 8. He says, who have heard of such a thing? Who has seen such a thing? Shall a land be born in one day? Shall a nation be brought forth in a moment? It was after World War II that we began to see that on May 15, 1948, Israel became a nation again in one day. In one day, they became a nation. It was there that the, as the land was being severed, they gave them the worst part of that area. And they established the nation of Israel simply because they're saying they have, a, a, they have in Scripture a divine ownership of that land, so they scheduled them there. They put them there. And in one day, Israel was born as a nation. 
in accordance with Scripture. I need you to know, saints, can all of this be by coincidence? No. God has already declared. Israel must be back on the planet, back as a nation, in order that the end times will be launched. So in 1948, Scripture declares, Matthew 24, look at verse 32 to 34. He says, now learn a parable of the fig tree. When its branch is yet tender and put it forth leaves, you know that summer is now. So likewise ye, when ye shall see these things, know that it is near, even at thy doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. When we talk about the fig tree, we're talking about the nation of Israel. That when the fig tree now is leaves are tender, you have to remember it's been away for hundreds of thousands of years. It's been thrust out of his land. And now as a 1948, it becomes a nation again. Look at the fact that right now its leaves and branches are tender because it's starting to grow back up again. When they gave Israel the land there, it was a land that had nothing but the wilderness. But I need you to know that God moved in such a way that Israel owns the most lush piece of area in that part of the world. Many things are coming out of Israel now. Many of us don't even realize your perfumes, your colognes, your flowers, and all these kind of things are now being brought forth by the nation of Israel. God has prospered Israel. Israel is a part for the end-time global economy, and as they must be present in God's scene in 1948 that they will come back and be a nation, Israel. Oh, let's get ready to wrap this up. You see, without biblical prophecy, without Israel, rather, biblical prophecy doesn't make sense. Why? Because certain things must happen. Israel becomes the center of global attention. Every day when you turn on your TV and look at the news, you hear about Israel, the center of global attention. Now, Deuteronomy 7 and 7, I believe, declares, did God choose Israel because they were the best nation, because they were more righteous than anybody? He says, oh, no, not at all. God chose Israel simply because Abraham in faith, believe God and, and begin to walk in the things of God. And the blessings that God told him, as we shared at the beginning, you shall be a blessing. I will make of thee, rather, he says, a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You are a blessing. I will bless them that bless you and curse them that curse you. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So it is imperative that Israel be back on the scene at the end. So they're part of a great global attention. But Israel will signal that the clock is about to start on the final generation. Why? Because if Israel doesn't exist, then how can this one sign a treaty at the end? Israel must exist. So Israel is at the center even at the last days. Why? Because it is here that the moment Israel signs that treaty with the Antichrist, that the clock will start for the next seven years. Let me tell you the third thing about this here. It is that Israel returns to a biblical territory to become a Jewish state, 1948, that has happened. They returned over years and how many of us have seen the commercials on TV right now? Pay for some poor Jews to be able to return back to Israel. Give that they can catch the flight to come back to make Israel their home. Even those from Ethiopia, there are Ethiopian Jews who are able to, face, they're able to trace their heritage all the way back to Abraham because we're finding out that now they are even there coming back in. Oh, saints, you got to understand. For those who try to, pro try to promote a doctrine that all the Jews were white, no, not so. Not so. 
have to understand, here, God is now bringing the entire people back from every corner of the globe. Many have something in their heart say, I want to go back home. There's no place like home. I want to go where my forefathers, my ancestors, I want to go to where they came from. And people are returning, even leaving the United States to go back to make their home in Israel. Israel must be here, present in the last days to fulfill biblical prophecy. Even more than that, we'll find out that Israel must become a global government. You'll find out that one of the main allies of Israel right now is the United States. And why has the United States been blessed so? Because I will bless thee, them that bless you. Oh, oh, you look at the blessings that have fallen to the United States. Could it be simply because of our position and ties with Israel? I will bless them that bless you. And I know many of us in our ethnocentric days, we'd say, well, what about all the slaves who died? And what about all this whatever? But God didn't make it about us at this point. He made it about them being the door that we can still come in. Oh, I need you to know. When you realize, well, Pastor, that sounds good, but where is this biblically? Well, did you realize that Moses married an Ethiopian woman? Where was she? Right there in the midst. Uh-huh. Did Aaron and, and Miriam get upset about it? Yeah. So in other words, people of color are there, have been there always. Who came out of Egypt? You think it was just the Jews? It was anybody coming? Y'all going? Let me catch a ride. I'm going with y'all. <laughs> oh. oh, so thanks. We got to change this into a global uh, a global mindset, a kingdom mindset. Israel must develop a global economy. We've already shared that, that they have. And finally, Israel must reestablish the sacrificial system. Right now, Israel is already putting together some of the things that they've had before, making the pots, the pans, the things of the sacrificial system in accordance with some of the plans and things that were given through Moses. They're preparing for the sacrificial system, and why haven't they done it yet? simply because there's some other things to be fulfilled first. So as we begin to wrap this up today, I know this hasn't been a shouting message, but I hope that you'll go and search the scriptures and see whether or not these things are so. As we wrap this up, Jesus says in Matthew 24, 34, Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. In 1948, those of you who were born in 1948, huh? I believe you're about 72 years old, I believe. Huh? You're in your 70s now. Maybe some of us came out a little bit, a little short after that. We're in our 60s. Uh -huh. What about those people born in the 70s? They're here right now on the face. We might say, well, Pastor, where are you going with this? Notice, this generation shall not pass until all these things are fulfilled. So if you're still on the planet right now and you are on the planet, you're part of the generation that ultimately will see these things fulfilled. So why are we telling you to get ready now? Because you and I don't know when these things are going to be. 1948. 58, 68, 78, 88, 98, 2008, okay, 60. You're born in any way you're part of that generation, and you need to know what's going to take place. So do we, what do we do now? We need to know God has given us this time to get this message out. The clock has been stopped to give the church the opportunity to evangelize the world. The clock has been stopped to give you and I, who have been made disciples, to go out and disciple others to take this message out. The clock has been stopped just to give us an opportunity to wake up out of our sleep and start getting right because you don't want to miss when the Lord returns. 
So maybe you're listening right now by way of internet or you're right here tonight, this morning, Reverend. And something has been said to encourage you. You might say, well, look, Pastor, I don't know where I am with God. I can tell you how you can get right with God. Just ask him to come in your heart to save you. Ask him at this point to write your name in his book of life. And you know what? Come on. Pray with me right now. Say, dear Jesus, I'm so sorry for how I have lived. Please forgive me. Wash me and cleanse me of all my sins. I believe, Lord Jesus, that you are the propitiation for my sin. You paid the price for my sin. And when God raised you from the dead, he forgave me of my sins when I put my trust and my faith in you. You're now my Lord and my Savior. Write my name in your book of life. I will serve you from this moment on. Thank you, Father. Amen. You see, if you prayed that prayer with us, I'm going to ask you even now, will you do something? If you're here or if you're watching by way of internet. You see, you're getting fed somewhere that is a part of helping you to grow and mature. If you don't have a church home, will you consider making Greater Bethlehem your church home? Or maybe if you're here, if you're visiting, you said, I want to make this my church home, just raise your hand. We'd like to make sure we receive you. It is here that we want to give you the opportunity now. How can you respond to us? On our website at mygbca.org. I want you to fill out the form. Tell me what you thought about the message or tell me whether or not you gave your life to the Lord. So, and if you want counseling, you want us to counsel or to, to you need someone to talk to, just put your phone number in there and one of our counselors will follow up with you. I promise you, we will follow up with you. So just go to our internet right now, fill out the page uh, on your comments or what have you and let us know how this message affected you. Let me say something else. If you've been blessed, and you know this is a ministry that God is using, especially in this hour, to bring the message to the people. How about giving, making a donation? Give to the ministry that we can continue the ministry and get this message out even more. There are a lot of materials and things that I want to make available to you, and I want to even make my notes for this message available to you on our website just for giving us your mailing address, your email address, et cetera, so we can correspond with you. Uh, our time is at hand, and we want to let you know that we love you. And there's nothing you can do about it. God bless you. Amen.